Welcome back to uh, episode six, This Moment in Sports, uh, still going strong, and uh, we have here with us, uh, it's uh, me, Ishan, uh, we got Garrick here, and we got Jose back again for the third episode in a row, uh, and we have a little bit of a different podcast, normally do like one or two topics, uh, this time we have... Uh, one topic, and then we just have like a, a general discussion about some things, uh, things we wanted to talk about in in the the world of sports. So, uh, my moment that I'm going to talk about is it's pretty uh, it's a pretty crazy story. It's one of the craziest stories that I heard, and it comes again from the world of American football, from the NFL, and. I I know I try to do a different sport each week, and I'm kicking myself for doing Super Bowl 42 because Super Bowl 42 it has nothing, it has absolutely nothing on this. I found this like literally the day after we recorded that episode, and I was kicking myself. I was like, how did I not, you know, find this? Uh, it's a story I found on Reddit, and I did some more research into it, and it's pretty insane. Um, so. Uh, have either of you heard of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Yes. No. You have not heard of the Tampa Bay That's interesting because, uh, so Tom Brady, uh, you know Tom Brady, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a little famous around these parts. He just signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're oh. uh, the NFL franchise in Tampa Bay. And Tom Brady was with the Patriots uh, before, right? He's the dude he was, that's won, yes. like... An incredible number of Super Bowl trophies. He has six, to be exact. And he's, like, older, right? He's, like, he's kind of towards the end of his career, perhaps? Oh, yeah. Okay. I think he's about 40 now. He's, like, 42, I he's think. He's 43. Is that right? 43. Yeah, he's he's old. I, I didn't even know he was in his 40s till like, two years ago. I was like, man, that's fucking crazy. He's been around forever. Uh, and he's won a bunch. And he just decided, I'm going to Florida. Uh, and the reason you probably haven't heard of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is because they're not very good. Gotcha. <laughs> or at least they they haven't been very good for a very long time. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> um, they actually, they've won a Super Bowl, believe it or not. Oh, wow. They won the Super Bowl in 2002, uh, which... That wasn't that long is ago. It's surprising, <laughs> I'm sure. It's not that long ago, but it's... To look at them before 2002 and after 2002, it's like, what happened? Like, how did this happen? Because when they became a franchise in, like, the 70s, mm-hmm. they didn't win a game for, like, two or three seasons. I think they had, like, uh, the long... They had, they had, like, a 30-game losing streak. It's impressive. That involved, like, multiple seasons. Impressive. <laughs> yeah, they were pretty awful. And for the time that they were awful... Basically, since they uh, were created as a franchise until about the 90s, they were owned by a man called Hugh Culverhouse. Uh, and most people haven't heard of Hugh Culverhouse. I haven't uh, because he, he died a, a long time ago. Well, he died in the 90s, which is a long time ago for me. Uh, so he, in short, I think the best way I can put it, he was a fucking nut job 
Like, he was just a crazy man running an NFL franchise. Uh, he did a lot of crazy shit. Um, and Quick fact check, the Buccaneers won in 2003, not in 2002. Well, it was the 2002 season. Okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. One of the two thousand three Super Bowl. Right. Two thousand three Super Bowl. Um, that is actually a very fun Super Bowl. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it at some point, but now is not the time, because Hugh Culverhouse is way more important uh, than any Super Bowl championship. Because, uh, as I just said, he is fucking crazy. Basically, not only is he crazy, he is a very a uh, cheap and manipulative owner. In 1986, uh, the year where this story takes place, just before all this took place, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers had the first pick in the NFL draft. This isn't even related to the story, but it just shows you how fucking nuts this guy is. Uh, Bo Jackson, which uh, I'm Jose, I, I'm sure you've heard of Bo Jackson. Have you heard of Bo Jackson? Yes. Uh, Gary, no idea who that is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he was like a a superstar okay. in the 80s and the 90s. He played baseball, Major League Baseball, and football. Wow. And then he got, like, a terrible injury. He was very good at both. Did he play at uh, both at the same time? He did, I think, for a bit. That's like, insane. He was, like, playing a bit of the the baseball season and then, like, the whole football season or something like that. Uh, but I know there was a period of time where he was, like, kind of going back and forth a bit. Um, and he was really good at both. Like, he was just, like, a superstar athlete. And he could pretty much do anything. And that's, like, kind of... He just has, like, this whole mythology about, like, all the crazy shit that he did or maybe didn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was, like, a superstar. And, like, the most... Probably the most wanted athlete by, like, anyone in all of sports. Because he could just do anything. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers wanted to select him with the number one overall pick smart decision you would think but earlier Hugh Culverhouse had flown in Bo Jackson for a meeting and he told Bo Jackson oh don't worry this is not going to mess with your uh, NCAA eligibility and we know we all know that NCAA is uh they're also a bit fucking crazy and uh they they try to look for any like eligibility amateurism violations oh did someone buy you like a cup of coffee like 30 years ago now you're 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 done you know, so they they looked at the meeting and they said, hey, Bo Jackson, you took this meeting or whatever. You went on this like private jet or whatever. Uh, you can't play college baseball anymore. Like you're done. And he was really Bo Jackson really loved baseball and he was really hyped to play baseball. And so he trusted Hugh Culverhouse when he said, oh, don't worry, this is going to affect your eligibility. Basically, he lied or at the very least, he didn't do his research properly, which he should because Oof. he's a owner of an NFL franchise. So basically, Bo Jackson's really upset at the Buccaneers. And Hugh Culverhouse is basically already negotiating with Bo Jackson to try and get this contract for the number one overall pick. And he's cheaping him out on the contract after he already like fucked with Bo Jackson's baseball career. And then so Bo Jackson said, if you take me number one, I'm going to play baseball. (laughs) And uh, Hugh Culverhouse called his bluff, took him number one overall. And Bo Jackson was like, Kansas City Royals, I'm going to play baseball. Basically, 
it was a complete joke because not only did Culver House call his bluff and completely flopped, uh, he was offered a trade for the number one pick, apparently by multiple people, but at, at the very least by the 49ers for like a very good uh, Hall of Fame uh, defensive player, Ronnie Watt, and like a running back or something like that. But it, it, anything, anything for getting out of that situation that they were in would have been better than what they did. <laughs> Uh, and it basically, wow. all of that comes down to Hugh Culverhouse being a psycho. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I'm surprised that... And that's not even the story. That's not even the story? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it's crazy how much agency NFL owners seem to have compared to, like, in soccer where the owner basically just supplies the money and then there's a whole, like, team of scouts and the coach and, like, everybody else deciding what players to get. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy NFL owners. I think it's just because it, it, it attracts a certain type of person yeah. to be like an NFL owner in particular. Yeah. Like you got Jerry Jones, who's just also nuts, but in a completely different way. They want to be steering the ship, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. They're, they want to be in control, even though like they're like flying blind. Yeah. Uh, in like, in a tropical storm. Right. <laughs> and they're like, yes, we'll take... Bo Jackson with the number one overall pick and uh, Bo Jackson said fuck you and I'm going to play baseball and so this is right after this is just to set up how crazy Hugh Culverhouse is as a person and of like a personality and this story doesn't directly involve him but it is under his ownership and it just shows you the way the Buccaneers are run at the time which is like they, they aren't being run they're being run by like complete nut jobs and uh, during all this craziness there's a NFL running back named Joe McCall. Did I get that name right? I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna check that real quick. Little fact uh, check. Little fact check. Uh, yeah, it's Joe McCall. So NFL running back Joe McCall. He was drafted in 1984 uh, to the at that time the Los Angeles Raiders. He hurt his knee some point in the season. Uh, and he had still been recovering from this knee injury basically for two years. He hadn't played. Uh, at that point, he had had three yards to his name. He had one NFL rush attempt for three yards. <laughs> Solid. Uh, so he hadn't been playing, basically. Yeah. He, he was just injured for a couple years. And then at this point, 1986, two years later, he's trying to get his career back on track. Uh, he signs with Tampa Bay. And what he does in Tampa Bay... Uh, is basically just stay injured. He just has horrible luck. Rides the bench. Uh, and his, yeah, he has basically, his like knee is swollen. It hurts all the time. You just can't do anything. And why the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are really upset by this is because they want to get rid of his contract because he's not playing for them. So they're like, oh, we got to get, get rid of this guy. Right. But uh, at that time, I'm sure this is still the case. I'm not 100% sure, but I think this is still the case. But at that time, the injury protection rules for NFL players were such that if you were injured, a team could not cut your contract. Yeah, that makes they sense. Couldn't, they couldn't, you know, just to protect the players. Right. And it makes sense. Yeah. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were like, we want to get rid of this guy's contract, which according to Joe McCall was like a minimum, a league minimum contract, like somewhere around like $60,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not, not a very high contract at all. Yeah. But they really desperately wanted to get rid of this guy for whatever reason. So what they did was 
And it's like, we need to prove that this guy is not actually injured. He's faking He's it. He's faking it. <laughs> Goddamn. And so what they do is they, they hire a bunch of PIs uh, to, to tail him every single day from his hotel to the practice facility, back to the hotel, wherever he goes, they're like, I, I get me proof that he's faking it. And according to like a union rep that uh, told Joe McCall this, they uh, set up cameras in his hotel room. Wow. Uh, so they, they went full CIA on him. Actually, I shouldn't say that. They went almost full CIA on him to try and find out uh, if he was faking it or just get evidence to make it seem like he was faking it because at that point they're just like we could, we just want to get rid of him that's crazy and then they go full CIA <laughs> because during one of the meetings with his team doc they, he goes to the meeting doctor uh, administers him sodium pentothal which have either of you heard of sodium pentothal before? No. No. Can't say that I have. <laughs> it is very very commonly referred to as truth serum. Oh. Uh, basically, huh. it's a drug that when administered, uh, it's, been, it's been used a lot of different ways, mostly like put people under or to, to, you know, like lessen pain during like, say, a combat situation. But... It was also used by the CIA uh, as a truth serum. I had no idea that was a and thing. And they went full MK Ultra on Joe McCall, gave him a dose of the truth serum, and was like, we're going to just ask him questions. <laughs> and basically they interrogate him and keep asking him about his injury. And it's like, are you, are you still injured? Does this hurt? Uh, which knee is hurting? Like, does, it, does, does this feel bad? And, and then... The whole time, his knee is actually injured. It's swollen. It's like, it hurts, you know? <laughs> so even though he's, like, put under, basically, he still recognizes that the pain is there. So they don't even get, like, you know, like, a, oh, I don't feel it now. Like, they, that's all they really wanted, I'm sure, is, like, just something. And he doesn't give it to him because it, his knee is still hurt, obviously. And so he basically is just, like, I, knees hurt, you know? And then the... The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they cut him anyway. <laughs> they cut him anyway, basically without like any reasonable uh, cause or suspicion that uh, he is actually faking it. Uh, and eventually, he wins like thirty thousand dollars in like a settlement or something later on. But it isn't really about about the the end result. This story is just about how insanely nuts. Uh, these people at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the owner, the team doctor, you know, everyone on an organizational level, this has been, this occurs at multiple levels. It has to occur at multiple levels for anything like this to happen. It wasn't just like one guy was like, okay, I'm gonna yeah. do some crazy shit now. No, they're definitely having like board meetings with like multiple people in suits looking at like the PI reports on his injury and listening to footage and stuff. My only question is, didn't wouldn't the PIs cost more than the $60,000? Well, this was the 80s. So, you know, Magnum PI was still on. I'm sure a lot of people were trying to get in the business, you know. 
I'll take anything from Hugh Culverhouse to to do <laughs> yeah, whatever. But also to obtain point. like the truth serum and to just constantly <laughs> tail him for I don't know however long it was. I'm guessing weeks. You know that's that's quite a bit of quite a bit of chunk of change that they're you know spending that they maybe just could have avoided if they had just been like, all right, we'll pay you sixty thousand and then we'll cut you when your contract's done. Yeah, and this is a very common thing that they did is just like, oh, we'll estimate when your injury will uh, subside and we'll pay you just we'll pay you bulk up until then, up until this estimation, and then we'll just cut you right now. Lots of teams had done that, apparently, but the Buccaneers were not most teams. <laughs> but another thing about this, so I uh, I saw this on Reddit and I, I did this research and apparently all of this comes from a, an interview that Joe McCall did with Vice because of course this would be something that Vice would uh, would look into. Basically Joe McCall and like a bunch of other people um, that contributed to to this article are basically insinuating yeah this was nuts but if they were doing this just for me Joe, Joe McCall like minimum contract running back like imagine what they were doing to everyone else. So that is like another angle of the story is not just, oh, they did this for this one guy, but they've been doing this for years for a bunch of people. And Joe McCall was just, you know, on the the short end of the stick. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it is. It's very nuts. And it shows how just how crazy the 80s were in general. That, uh, like, a bunch of people thought this was a good idea. They're like, yeah, we'll, we'll fucking drug him up, and uh, we'll ask him a bunch of questions, and, uh, yeah, we got him. Easy, easy peasy. Fucking give me that sodium pentothal. Lots of, lots of just crazy decision-making uh, from a franchise that is already just insane at that point. So, yeah, it's it's just a crazy story. And... It just shows that there's a bunch of crazy stories out there. If like if you find the right person, Joe McCall is a random guy that ran for three yards in his NFL career and became a teacher. He is like a a tiny a tiny minuscule blip on the NFL radar. There are people out there that probably have even crazier stories, which is just insane to think about. Is that this isn't even as bad as it gets. If only the Buccaneers spent that much time and effort actually training and recruiting a good team. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they could have been, like, smarter uh, in in a lot of ways, but they chose to be just uh, absolutely batshit crazy. <laughs> and uh, it's it's amazing because it's, like, everything you read about the Buccaneers from that era is basically like the adventures of if like a crazy man got a hold of a bunch of money and an NFL franchise. Maybe this will be the next big documentary that comes out. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you could do 80s, a whole series. 80s Tampa based. Bay. Yeah. 80s Tampa Bay. You could do, you could make a full HBO, like, you know, 10 season show on just 80s NFL in general. I'd watch it. Cause they were all crazy. <laughs> It'd be a winner. Yeah, it would be. It would be. It would trump Tiger King for sure. Um, having not watched Tiger King, I can definitively say it would be <laughs> crazier than Tiger King. I mean, I think I think something that is also, I guess, relevant now, or like it's still the, 
the story has just reminded me like how shady executives in sport can be. I mean, mm-hmm. with all like the recent scandals of like the Man Cities, the PSGs, the Chelsea's. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's probably lots of stories yeah. out there that we just don't know about, but you know, it seems like yeah. the only people who have gotten caught are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and maybe Man City. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's I'm sure there's been a lot of people that have been caught. It's just either like kept quiet or you know, you know how these things are in the corporate world. Yeah. Um and it's just like I think this story is great because like there's a lot of stories of just any companies or any businesses basically just making crazy ass decisions in the name of like cutting costs and basically just trying to get an edge business wise wherever they can. But this is like a very specific type of crazy. And uh, I love it, honestly. Like it's horrible. It's horrifying. But uh, it's it's like you can't look away. You know, it's like a train wreck that is being engineered by like a cia nfl franchise uh and it's it's incredible and i'm so very glad that joe mccall uh decided to do an interview with vice about this because it is unbelievable (laughs) but yeah that's that's all i had i just saw that and i was like i got we got to talk about this it's just too good not to talk about yeah it's a pretty crazy story no yeah i agree (laughs) i literally made a note in my phone like mccall sodium (laughs) pentothal so i wouldn't forget and i still forgot i forgot that i wrote it down i was like googling it and i was like i couldn't find it it's like buried on the internet if you try and find it without like looking up the very specific details uh you'll alert you'll alert your fbi guy (laughs) (laughs) i guess so I I think there's a bunch of other stuff out there that we just don't know about. Like, you know, I just I'm just going to do a vice.com deep dive this weekend and just find all the crazy shit they've been hiding. <laughs> How many other truth serums episodes are out there? Yeah, I'm sure there's many. That's what he says. He was like, <laughs> "Oh man, like he's like in his interview is like, yeah, they, the way they treated me was horrible." But uh like just imagine what they've been doing this whole time and the way they've been treating other people like all the while, you know? All right. So, uh, now we're halfway through, uh, one topic done. And this next topic is, is something I've been, you know, thinking about talking about for a while, just like casually. I think it's a very important discussion in general and it's about money in sports and not just like you know shady backroom deals and stuff not just money spent on sodium pentothal and pis and cameras in hotel rooms just straight up like salary cap paying players what are you paying them should that be regulated should that be a part of sports is teams basically being successful because they have money and because they've been successful before or should everyone be on a level financial playing field? And I have a lot of opinions about that in particular. But before we go into some numbers, because I did some research, I just want to get your your feelings, uh, Jose and Garrick, about uh, 
you know, financial fair play, not the specific, you know, like UEFA term, but just in general? Like, what does that mean? And, you know, could it be better now or was it better before? So what, what, do, you, what do you guys think? Hmm. Well, I think for the sport I'm most familiar with, which is soccer, mm-hmm. I think that um, salary caps have typically not worked very well in in the history of soccer mm-hmm. and I, i'm thinking specifically of the mls um yes where that is the prominent one that does have a salary yeah so they have like designated players i think it's called which can break the salary cap but everybody mm-hmm. else is on limited to a very specific salary which means mm-hmm. that clubs are limited in how much they can grow, how many players they can recruit. And that means that um, when MLS clubs play outside the U.S., they typically get destroyed yes, in, like, the, the Champions League and stuff. Um, yeah. Even, like, the best MLS teams will lose to Mexican teams and teams from Central America. Um, yes, they do that very often. Yeah, so I think... Um, salary caps in soccer are are tough because you need um, to have regulation that covers all the leagues in the world otherwise mm-hmm. players would always just go to a different league like if the Bundesliga does a salary cap then players would just go somewhere else where they could be paid more um, yes yeah and in terms of some teams having more money than other teams to pay players. I think that name recognition and the fame of certain clubs comes into play as well. Like, I think even mm-hmm. if there is a salary cap, players will still want to play for Manchester United and Liverpool just because of the history associated with them yes. and and the name recognition instead of, like, West Ham. No offense <laughs> to West Ham, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think West Ham will take some offense to that. <laughs> Just some, though. They know, they know they're West Ham. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Jose, what do you think? I, uh, so, it's funny that I brought up the Man City thing because I think Man City's kind of a, a very good example of why financial fair play, at least in... UEFA, I know you said not to talk about UEFA, but like UEFA financial fair play isn't working uh, necessarily mm-hmm. because I think it helps establish clubs, rich clubs, more than up and coming teams. So, mm-hmm. say you have a Manchester City or a Fulham or like a West Ham or a Wolves who get bought out by these rich executive owners. Financial fair play doesn't really help them because the only way you can really make or bring in these kinds of players and not overspend under financial fair play rules is by building out your brand. You need, like Garrick said, like you need these established like brands to kind of like bring in revenue for the club. And that way you can use that Mm -hmm. revenue and use that money power from the owners to buy these brands big players and like bring them into your club um so it it definitely hurts smaller clubs who have like ambitions 
Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Man City is kind of just like the latest to kind of like challenge that and try to, you know, reach the top. But, you know, the Barcelonas of the world, the Real Madrid's of the world who have global brands, anyone can recognize them. Like they're more protected under financial fair play than um, other clubs. So I think there is a problem with that. And I think that really the only way to to regulate that would have it would have to come from FIFA, I think. I don't think you could really have like a an UEFA or a CONCACAF like salary cap because like Eric said, players just would go to another continent. And I think I was also doing some research into this. The Premier League also almost instituted a salary cap back in like 2011 or 2012. Um, but mm-hmm. the the owners voted against it because they were, were like, well, we don't want to lose our players. They might just go to Asia or, you know, where they're paying like a billion, Spain. a billion a week or like PSG yeah. or something. So I think any kind of salary cap or any kind of like rule or institution on that would have to come from FIFA for it to have like any meaningful change. But yeah, financial yeah. fair play is definitely in some need of rethinking and who knows maybe more clubs or fifa will adopt those rules but i seriously doubt it because there's always going to be that one club who's going to outpay fifa because it's crazy to think that man city has more money than uefa so yeah that's just my thoughts on. i think i think both of you are right that it's very it would be very hard maybe near impossible to impose a league-wide salary cap just because it removes a competitive advantage of your league basically limiting how much you can pay a player it would probably have to come from like a uefa or a fifa something kind of worldwide imposed and and strict but i i'm i'm less interested in the realism of it because i know it's very unrealistic i'm just i'm more interested really in like the philosophy of it like does it work? Because I know a lot of European like fans of of soccer, of football, like things the way they are, even if they're not directly benefiting. Like a team like uh, I don't know, like a team like uh, like Burnley, for instance, or you know, a team like I I'm I'm struggling to think of poorer teams. I don't want to call a team out as a poor team. A uh, league two side. Yeah, a league to maybe maybe like a a bottom half team or like a team that's looking for promotion from like the second division into the first division. Those teams don't really have an advantage at, almost at all. Like Wolves are kind of a different story. They have a lot of financial backing uh coming into uh coming into the Premier League this time around. But for the most part, teams that are either battling relegation or looking for promotion uh into any top league are at a disadvantage compared to teams that have been in the league for a while and have kind of been established and they have more consistent revenue streams uh, or owners that are just just way more rich than the other teams. I'm more interested in the philosophy because I can see their point of like this, you know, a club is different from a franchise. Like from the U.S. sports is like a franchise which is, you know, not necessarily... It's more like a a business, but it's more... 
I should say this actually. Uh, in in European football, clubs are kind of run as independent businesses. They have their own revenue streams. They have their own payrolls and salaries, and for the most part, they can kind of decide what to do yeah. as they see fit mm-hmm. with their club. And that level of control is something that you don't get under, for instance, a U.S. sports league like the NFL, NBA, that has a salary cap, uh, has more restrictions on how players can move, can be signed, can be traded. It's it's very much the league controls what the teams can do, whereas in Europe, it's more about the teams kind of just, they have to abide by the league rules, but they're they're given more individual flexibility to manage themselves as they see fit and i see the benefit of that but me personally i think in in sports in general there should be a level field of competition and that is what makes sports interesting and competitive is teams that are on a level playing field playing the same game by the same rules who can outsmart who can outplay the other and there's a lot of different ways a team can do that. But financially, you're pretty much limited based on either your established brand in European football uh, or a new owner that comes in and decides, I'm just going to pour a bunch of money into this. And Garrick, I know you're a Chelsea fan, so you might have some bias in terms of, you know rich owner comes in and and, flu, and you know provides a huge influx of cash and you know see where that goes but just philosophically how do you feel about like the european way of thinking things versus like the american like you know nfl nba hard cap or even soft cap but restrictive way of of managing teams and could it work either way could a salary cap work in soccer or European soccer, or world soccer outside of the U.S., outside of the MLS? And would the traditional club, European style, work in the U.S. for, like, the NBA or the NFL? Like, how how, how do you guys think that could work? Just, I you know, in general. I mean, it's a hard question because U.S. sports are closed markets, um, the NBA is really like the only major basketball league in the world. NFL, again, really the only football league in the world that can create that kind yeah. of like revenue and brand or whatever. So it, it's hard. I think it's hard because they're in a position where, you know, they have control over media rights. They have control over everything um, regarding like their franchises and like what they can do, what they can't do. Um, so it's a closed model, but it's a closed business model where you really don't have any outside influence of like what can affect, like you're not going to have NFL players leaving for Australia, for example. (laughs) Um, it, it could work in Europe. A salary cap could work again if it's coming from FIFA. If FIFA comes down and says, Hey, from now on, there's going to be a global salary cap and of like 200 million. Um, and, you know, you have to follow, you can only have a certain amount of players and they can only be like a max weekly um, salary. 
I think it would mm-hmm. have to be instituted at the exact same time across all leagues. And that would resemble more of a level playing field. And obviously 200 million is way too low. I'm like, being, I'm just throwing <laughs> random numbers out there. I was just imagining uh, whichever team gets messy, the other 10 players <laughs> who are on the field are just like... <laughs> complete whoever, yeah. just complete you know. shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the the janitor, you know, like the, the yeah. ball boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I should rephrase because, again, we're going back to like the logistics of it. Uh-huh. Um, I'm I'm less interested in whether we could do it. I'm more interested in whether we should do it. Oh, or whether they, as in absolutely world football or any league without a salary cap, should implement one. In my opinion, yes, they should because, like you said, there's just a a great. There's only a certain number of ways a small team like Burnley can beat Man City, by parking the bus mm-hmm. and hoping for a miracle. It. Because by, by lobbing it up to Peter Crouch, yeah, <laughs> like there, there, there really isn't a way for small clubs to have that competitive edge when you have Man City just buying out all these amazing players, and you know they putting them all on one team. It's gonna be incredibly mm-hmm. hard for Man City to lose to a team that has like I don't even know a player on Burnley right now. Um, <laughs> there's a Tarkovsky, he's very very decent center back. Yeah, Ben Me. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Tom Heaton. Tom Heaton. <laughs> I actually know a decent amount of Bro- <laughs> <Bro Burnley. laughs> Um, but yeah, I think it should happen because well managed clubs will find a way to make it work. I think whether it's by building up their academy mm-hmm. or whether it's just investing money in. Uh, better equipment, better grounds, better training. Um, that's where you're going to have to put the extra money. Like that's where the owners are going to have to put their money in to make sure that their club is successful. And I think at the end of the day, that is what should be focused on rather than just trying to get the splashiest players and hoping that mm-hmm. all of them can be on one team. So I think it should happen whether... Okay. So yeah, that's just where I'm going to leave so on the yeah. on the other hand... Just speaking kind of objectively, <laughs> it is fun, in my opinion, when these super wealthy teams assemble 11 of like the greatest players in the world and they play each other in like, the fan. Champions League. <laughs> no, but think Chelsea about fan. it. In, in the Champions League, it's like the best teams in all of Europe. And now and, and again throughout history, you have these classic teams, basically, that were kind of constructed like that, like AC Milan with Van Basten and Rudd Gullet. Or like mm-hmm. Real Madrid, Barcelona, the, those were all assembled teams basically. Mm-hmm. And then you have like Ajax and Bayern München that typically collect the best players of the league and put them together in one team, and then yes. challenge each other in the Champions League. It is mm-hmm. entertaining, even if it's morally yeah. questionable. Yeah, I think you see in even American sports that have the salary cap, super teams generate an audience. You know, everyone wants to watch the Warriors, whether you love them or you hate them, they get an audience. The Heatles, you know, LeBron James, Wade and Bosch, and, you know, Barcelona every year, Bayern Munich every year, uh, PSG at this point every year, although the results are uh, mixed, shall we say. Real Madrid, Chelsea, Manchester City lots of audience for those teams you know they they get a big following by being elite on the field 
but I would say I think I had way more fun watching Ajax and the Champions League. Basically, I, even though they're the big fish in the Eredivisie, uh, in the Dutch league, in Europe, they are kind of in between a minnow and a shark. They're somewhere in the middle there. They're like a tuna. And comp- yeah. <laughs> compared, to, compared to the teams they beat, Real Madrid, Juventus, and, you know, doing very well against Tottenham, but, you know, valiantly losing. But the the way they played, uh, they, they took two points off of Munich in the group stage, too. Like, they were beating the big fish. They were beating the Sharks of the Champions League, playing with the money they found underneath the couch, essentially. That would be my analogy. And that was so much fun to watch them beat those teams way more fun than it was watching Real Madrid win three in a row. Way more fun than it is watching Barcelona pretty much walk the league every single year. Uh, way more fun than it is watching Bayern and Juventus walk the league. Although they had the, yeah, they had the competitive seasons. Oh, well, four points off of, you know, whatever. It's close, whatever, but they won. They win like seven years in a row, Bayern Munich, like nine years in a row for Juventus. Like they win almost all the time and recently all the time and i think it's fun when you have a team that comes in and breaks up the status quo not playing the same game basically ix the reason ix made the semifinals nearly made the finals are completely different than the reasons liverpool made the final or barca almost made the final or tottenham made the final even even though you could say tottenham are not exactly a financial superpower because they aren't but i think playing a different game than people that have kind of almost all the power over you and still coming out on top that's way more interesting than bayern versus real madrid in the semifinals no matter how good the game is i at that point to me it matters less about that and more just about the competitive spirit of a team you know so you're pointing out another advantage of not having salary caps because then you can root for the minnows. Well, yes, but how often do, how often do the minnows win? Ajax didn't even make the final. As great as they were, and I loved watching them play, but they didn't make the final. Yeah, know? the exception proves the rule, um, but it still is entertaining. Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say you know football isn't entertaining. I think it's massively entertaining. It's one of the most fun sports to watch in the world. But I think I have problems with the kind of the competitiveness or the anti-competitiveness of some of the the way teams operate in the league and the way the league is just kind of like oh, okay, you know, okay, you, you can't okay, Manchester City just just buy all these guys, you know, I don't, I don't care. So that kind of bothers me on a general level because I, I, I love a fair playing field. And you can almost mm-hmm. never get that in sports, but I think you can always aspire to attain it. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel personally about it. I, and I understand the logistic complications. It's very difficult to impose a salary cap or, on the other hand, to get rid of one if you already have one. But I think... For me, I lean far more towards the idea of a salary cap because I just don't see a way. I know, and I know there's like fans of Burnley or, you know, 
uh, Sheffield United or, you know, all these smaller teams with smaller budgets that are like, no, the way it is is fine. But I still disagree with them. <laughs> Uh, it's fine. It's your opinion. These yeah. are just our opinions. We are not experts in these are just our economics opinions. or how to run a a football team. So, yeah, I'm and I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in the specifics, you know, of how this the legal implications. Or I don't care about that. I just care about the philosophy of it. That's what I care about. So, Garrick, I I I respect your opinion, but I respectfully disagree. <laughs> I would, uh, yeah. I think Jose and I, I think, are on the same page here in terms of what we would want to see. Like, the way things are aren't terrible. It isn't awful. But I think it's been trending in the wrong direction in terms of competitiveness mm-hmm. uh, over the last couple of years. And we talked a lot about soccer, and we talked a lot about salary cap leagues in uh, America, NFL, NBA, uh, NHL. There is one major league in the United States, though, that does not have a salary cap. They have a luxury tax, which, you know, makes it difficult for teams to just spend whatever, but they don't have a salary cap, and that is Major League Baseball. Doesn't the NBA also have that luxury tax? Yes, but they also have a salary cap. They have a luxury cap and a salary cap. Is it a soft one? Or a luxury tax and a salary cap. Is it a soft cap, though? It is a soft cap. Okay. Maybe you should explain what a soft cap is. Yeah, soft cap versus hard cap. So soft cap, um, my best estimation, guesstimation is basically uh, this is the the level that you should be spending at. If you go over that level, you pay a luxury tax. You just pay a lot more on top of what you're already paying over that cap in payroll. This is all payroll stuff like wages Mm -hmm. uh, for the players. So if the cap is at, say, $100 for the year... And you're like, oh man, I need to sign this guy. You can go over by a certain amount. There still is a, a cap above the soft cap. Like okay. you, see, you can't just spend whatever. But you you still, if you go over that soft cap, you're paying not just the money you're paying above that, but a additional compounding tax above that. Actually, I don't even know. I'm not even 100% sure that there is a hard cap on top of the soft cap for the NBA. I had no idea. I just made that up. So that probably, that may not be true, but it's effectively a, <laughs> a, a hard cap in terms of the luxury tax will just, the yeah, luxury tax will up. just screw you if you keep going over. Yeah. And so a lot of teams try to stay under. No, yeah, yeah. I think you explained that well. So for, so for baseball that doesn't have a salary cap, does it look more like soccer does? It looks a little bit more like soccer does, where you have a high variance in salaries. Mm-hmm. I should explain the hard cap also. Hard cap, way simpler. It's just cap is $100 million. You cannot spend a single cent over $100 million. That is hard cap. Uh, the soft cap is way more complicated. But baseball doesn't have a cap at all, which basically just means teams can spend however they feel. There is a luxury tax, but they can kind of keep going up or kind of keep it low mm-hmm. if they they aren't willing to invest and just to give you ver- just give you an idea of the variance i'm just gonna look up 2020 mlb salary cap i did a lot of research this was not one of them um but i want to show you i want to show you because you will see it is similar um or not salary cap salaries payroll that's the word i'm looking for uh, basically just 
the entire Dodgers wage bill. Yes. Uh, let me see. There's a specific website, actually. I'll cut a bunch of this out. It's, it's <laughs> not a problem. All right. For instance, for the 2019 season, Major League Baseball opening day payrolls, the highest, uh, the highest total payroll was about let me see is i have to add numbers here so i'll just do a guesstimation was about two two hundred and two million a little bit over 202 million for the boston red sox they had the highest salary payroll for 2019 the lowest was the tampa bay rays at a little over 53 million (laughs) so almost a quarter less so that gives you an wow. idea of the variance mm-hmm. in that. Whereas the a team with a sal or a league with a salary cap will have kind of teams kind of in the same general area year to year. Yeah. Um, baseball is kind of just like all over the place, and teams go up and down all the time. Whether like pay they pay really high a couple of years, they're really good. They're like, oh, we can keep our players, and then and then they drop back down. Um, there's only a couple teams that consistently stay near the top in recent years. Uh, it's been the Red Sox uh, a little bit before recent times. Like uh, the Dodgers were top of the league in payroll from I want to say twenty fourteen to twenty seventeen, mm-hmm. a good four years, and they're still near the top, but they're just not top dogs. And the Yankees are almost always at the top, which is why everyone loves to hate the Yankees because they are like the Manchester City of uh, of baseball, <laughs> right? And that they they're they just try and get the biggest players and they're also fun to hate because a lot of the times they're really fucking stupid and they don't know what to do with all the money that they have and so they just make complete garbage decisions and they end up not being a very good team uh recent years so have they're been pretty good the manchester united yeah so they're the manchester united not the manchester i would say yeah manchester united is a as a, as a very apt description seeing as the yankees haven't won the world series in 11 years uh, so, a lot of parallels you could make there. But, I will bring up real quick, I I brought up these numbers, I will bring up some more numbers that I looked at, um, about baseball in particular. And the numbers that I looked at were, uh, this website I found, stevetheump.com. Uh, I love them because they gave me all the payrolls from 2019 all the way back to 1998. Wow. Uh, and they looked at who won the World Series and how high their payroll was in the league. Like, what rank was their payroll? And so I'm going to read them out to you real quick. From 1998 to 2019, going up the years. So going from 1998 up till the present day. Uh, this, this is the rank of the team that won the World Series... Uh, their salary payroll rank. How high did they pay those players compared to the rest of the league? 1998, uh, the Yankees won, and they were second in payroll. The next year, Yankees won again. They were first. Next year's Yankees won again. They were first. Uh, the Diamondbacks uh, won in 2001. They were eighth. Uh, the Angels won in 2002. They were 15th. Uh, next year... Uh, the Marlins were 25th. Very impressive for them to win it uh, 25th. So I will say that's a bit of an outlier. 
because 2004, the Red Sox went in their second in payroll. 2005, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a big baseball fan, so I don't even remember who wins in some of these years. I'm just going to keep going up. 13th, next year, 11th, next year, 2nd, next year, 12th, next year, 1st, year after that, 10th, then 11th, then 8th, then 4th, then 7th, then 16th, then 14th, then 18th, then 1st, then 7th. And the 7th is the Washington Nationals who recently won the World Series. They had the seventh highest ranked payroll. So there is a lot of variance in there that I wasn't actually expecting. I was expecting most of the teams to be in the top 10. Mm -hmm. And actually most of them are in the top 10. But there are a couple outliers in there. You have a couple in the teens. Um, You have the Marlins at 25th in 2003, which is just weird. It doesn't really make any sense. Uh, I wasn't watching baseball in 2003, so I can't tell you how that happened. Maybe we'll do an episode about that, because that's just weird. But for the most part, they're all pretty high. Yeah. Just maybe not as high, all of them, as I expected, but they're all pretty high. So what what do you think about those numbers? Just a quick... I have more numbers, but what do you think about these numbers? Seems like a pretty good degree um, of variation. Yeah, I would say I'm pretty surprised that, you know, you're not seeing more, like, top fives. Um, but baseball is also very, uh, I guess you could say, chance sport. Like, I don't know, yeah. there's, there's definitely moments where, like in the playoffs you can have like a team like the nationals just catch fire at the right time and go on to win it all so i was it, it really is hard to to kind of put that in perspective i guess i was gonna ask how important coaches are for baseball i think they can be pretty important like there's a couple coaches that you'll see basically win year after year or like every couple of years they'll pop up in the okay. world series because they're they're good okay so um, it is pretty important i would say it's important i'm not i'm not an expert in baseball i don't baseball is probably the sport i one of the sports i least understand actually i i, I know a decent bit but coaches i couldn't really tell you jose probably watches way more baseball than i do i could probably name three <laughs> managers in baseball dave matthews alex cora um nope never mind two. <laughs> there's two. <laughs> yeah yeah aj hinch there i was there. i was just curious because for soccer the coach or the manager is like such an important force in making sure this group of players plays cohesively um yeah and is often like the most important person in determining how a team will play mm-hmm. i was just curious okay no uh, yeah yeah um, would you say that you would expect more or less variance in soccer compared to the baseball numbers we just saw? Which is, it's it's very trending very upward, but there's exceptions, you know? I would say less variance for sure. Less variance? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'll look at those numbers right now and read them off to you. I did a lot more digging for this. I had to find there wasn't a website that just magically had all the payrolls in the Premier League. I'm using the Premier League because I think it's got the most variance in champions in recent years, especially uh, out of like the very top leagues. So I'm going to use that one. And I have numbers from this year all the way back to 2001. 
So I mostly got them from like the Guardian and other websites like that. Um, they may be the numbers may not be entirely accurate, but they they're pretty close. They give you a very good idea. Uh, I shall go from two thousand one to two thousand and twenty. And in 2001, Manchester United won the title. They had the second highest payroll. Year after that, Arsenal won the title. They had the second highest payroll. The year after that, Manchester United won their title, won another title. They were first. Year after that, Arsenal, third in payroll. Year after that, Chelsea, first in payroll. Year after that, Chelsea again, first in payroll. The next three years, United win. Every single time they're second in payroll, only to Chelsea, who for like seven years had the highest payroll. Uh, and Chelsea again won in 2010 with the highest payroll. 2011, United, third highest payroll. 2012, Manchester City, first in payroll. 2013, uh, United again, second in payroll. 2014, City again, first again in payroll. 2015, Chelsea, third in payroll. 2016, now this is the huge outlier. Leicester City, 15th in payroll. Shout out to Again, Leicester. Again, shows you. Yeah. yeah. Crazy, crazy season. I still have no idea how they did it, even though I saw them do it in, like, in person. I watched a, a lot of that season. Crazy. 15th in payroll. Champions. 2017, Chelsea wins again, second in payroll. 2018 and 2019, Manchester City uh, win both years. They're second in payroll both years. 2020, Liverpool, the presumed champions, they'll probably win it. However, it gets awarded to them third in payroll. Not very much variance at all. Everyone is top three except for Leicester, which is pretty crazy stuff. I didn't, honestly, I didn't expect that little variance uh, in the Premier League. It was weird. It's it like opposite day uh, looking at these numbers. But. How how do you guys how do you guys feel about those? I think it makes sense because if you yeah. can afford to pay the best players, you're gonna have a better shot at winning the league. Yes, pretty straightforward, I would say. Jose, what do you what do you think? I agree. I think I'm not at all surprised by those numbers. Um, I think really the only reason why you see so much more variance in baseball is because there's more of us more of a regular season, you know, you're playing 182 games, I think. 182? 162. Is it 182? Yeah. 162. You're playing 162 games, which means, like, anything can happen. Like, the regular season is, like, just so drawn out. Like, mm-hmm. that hot teams can have, like, a, a cold streak, and all of a sudden, like, they're struggling for their playoff lives. Whereas, like, I feel like in soccer like Garrick said, you're playing the best players to play 38 matches. They're the best. They have all this equipment. They have the best grounds. They have, like, all these, like, they have ridiculous wages so they can afford to pay, like, for personal chefs, like, gym trainers, all this other stuff. So you're going to see, you're going to see a lot less variance in, like, who wins the title because these teams are just built to, to win leagues and walk all over everyone else. Yeah. And you did bring up something earlier that I wanted to talk about because I have more numbers for you for baseball. You talked about the playoffs and how anything can happen. And that's kind of the magic of the playoffs in any sport is like anything can happen. Whoa, it's crazy. Uh, But it adds more variance. And I thought about that and I was like, 
Sean, you're smarter than this. You shouldn't just look at the World Series champion because there is variance in the playoffs. You've only got a couple games to make a difference. 162 games. Now that's sample size. <laughs> so I looked at who had the best record over the 162-game regular season each year, 2019 to 1998. And I looked at what their payroll was. <laughs> and that that seemed to do the trick. Uh, because let's look at the numbers here. Going from 98 to 2019, the winningest teams in the regular season for Major League Baseball, comparable to you know winning the league in, in European soccer, winning the most games over the same amount of games as everyone else, 1998, uh, the winningest team, highest payroll. Next year, third highest payroll. Next year, 17th highest payroll. Next year, 11th highest payroll. 2002, it was joint. Some of them have like uh, tied records for the top, so I, I put both of those numbers. This is first and 28th. And this is a great season in general because this is the Oakland A's Moneyball season uh-huh. where they tied the New York Yankees record for, for most wins in the league on the 28th highest budget compared to the Yankees' highest budget. So, yeah, read Moneyball if you haven't. It's a great read. Um, Even if you don't like baseball, uh, I'm not the biggest baseball fan, but I love Moneyball. It'll tell you a good deal about those Oakland A's teams and why that number is so weird. (laughs) Because the the year after that, the year after Moneyball, is uh, the the winningest team, another joint... uh, Another joint team record. The the first and the third highest payroll both had the the most amount of wins. Next year, 11th. Next year, 6th. Next year, joint again, 1st and 5th. Next year, joint again, 2nd and 23rd. And that's that's a pretty good good job by the 23rd place team there. Uh, 6th, year after 1st. The year after 4th. The year after 2nd. The year after 20th. The year after that, 4th slash 10th. Another joint... Uh, record uh, year after that sixth year after that eleventh year after that fourteenth year after that first year after that first year after that eighth, which there is still variance in those numbers. Those are that's all the way up until twenty nineteen. The Astros had the highest. Uh, they they had the most wins and they had the eighth highest payroll. Again, the Astros are one of those teams I looked at in baseball and I found them to be really really well managed because they generally had a much lower payroll compared to their rank and how well they've done in the last couple of years. And then they then you find out they've been cheating the whole time. <laughs> and that kind of takes some of the shine off of it. Uh, but another couple of good teams in there, uh, as I said, the Moneyball Oakland A's, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals have done very well, uh, overperformed their budget. And uh, yeah, a couple, couple good teams in there, the Royals, uh, the Cubs winning the World Series, um, pretty pretty good, pretty good couple of outliers, but for the most part, that is much higher. It's a lot more first place, a lot more you know top five top ten finishes mm-hmm. um, still more variance and that those than the premier league still variance, yeah, still variance, and I accept that, but those are the numbers I was expecting to see, and mm-hmm. I'm glad I went back and found those numbers because I'm like that makes sense <laughs> right those numbers make sense to me. 
and it also shows you the variance in the playoffs in general, where all these teams just dominate the regular season. They go into the playoffs, and in seven games they're done, or like four games they're done. You know, it's yeah. it's crazy. I, but yeah, I unlocked your argument, Sean. You you unlocked it. Yeah, I helped you figure it out. Helped you figure it out. You did. You did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I thought of that before you said that, but I'm glad you brought it up because it <laughs> it led into it very well. It it it, it all wrapped up. It, it it's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> sure. Uh, that's a that's a Star Wars Episode One reference. No, no one will get that. Maybe I'll cut that out. But that was funny for me. So. Um, I'm glad you enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah, George Lucas is ha- hard time directing. Uh, anyways, yeah. So th- those those are all the numbers I had, but they show a lot of what I expected to see, and that having a lot of money and having more money than the other teams is a big, big, big predictor of success. And it's massive in the Premier League, and it's still big in baseball. Uh, And those are the two leagues that I was just like, a lot of different variants in the champions, and no salary cap. So you get a lot of variants in salary in general, but the predictor is still the same. Who has the money? So for me, going back to the philosophical discussion, I like a level playing field. I'm a big fan of evenness in opportunity. Uh, And I don't think that exists in any sport, but I think it exists to a far greater extent in teams that do not have, or sorry, in leagues that do not have an effective way of cutting salary. And not not just cutting salary for players. I'm very pro player. You know, I'm not like oh, pay them two dollars an hour. I don't. It's, I I'm very pro player, but I am also pro competitiveness. And so being able to control for factors like financial uh, success and ability, uh, I think those are important. And in soccer, you see it a lot. Uh, as we s- said, the big teams, Juventus. Uh, Manchester City, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Barcelona. These are teams that are no strangers to success. But I think a lot of that success, and especially with Manchester City and Chelsea, which don't really have a great history of winning, uh, have come into their their new ownerships in in relatively recent times and have gone on to do uh, very big things compared to their historical success and really compared to their effectiveness at being a well-run club. Uh, Because I will say the money papers over the cracks for Manchester City and Chelsea, and in many years where they have failed to do, uh, failed to do well, a lot of it isn't necessarily down to the money, because they still have the money. It's down to how effective their, their team is run. And for me, that is only, and, and for me, like, Sometimes that's only important for Barcelona, Real Madrid, all these big teams, when things really go wrong, when the money isn't enough to paper over the cracks. But I think that should be the only thing every single year is how well your team is ran, how smart they are, can they outsmart the opposition, uh, what way can they, you know, get uh, get an advantage without like being the 2017 Astros and like videotaping the the game banging on trash cans and shit you know what way can you can you get ahead by being smart but fair and competitive I I, I love that in sports 
and I want to see more of that. And that's why I, f- I feel very strongly about uh, financial evenness in opportunity. So I went on that spiel. Do uh, you guys have any more thoughts about that? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think you and I are on the same boat. I would love to see more parity, more equality in these leagues um, because... I mean, they call it financial fair play, but really it's only benefiting a few clubs, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, I think they should move forward with some sort of, whether it's a luxury tax or, you know, a soft cap, um, you know, moving forward with those things in place. So that way it really is fair to everyone. And that way we mm-hmm. can see more competitive amongst the domestic leagues which you know will feed into the great games that we see eventually in the champions league um because who wouldn't want to see like more of those like comeback stories of like the lesters or the ajaxes just knocking these historic teams off you know that way you can Mm. it brings more entertainment in my opinion i i fully agree I'm still all for dynasties and underdogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I get it. It's it's entertaining still. Mm-hmm. Like the uh the unevenness is still fun and entertaining, but I prefer the I prefer the variance. I prefer the I the think, teams. I think soccer in general moves a lot more slowly than like the NFL or NBA Mm -hmm. per se in that like dynasties are around for a long time but if you do look at it over time it it does change like you have 90s Italy being the best league in the world having all the money Mm -hmm. and the best players and that changed and now it's the Premier League that players like aspire to go to so yeah. it just takes a little yeah. bit longer. Yeah, I agree. And I think that is an important thing too because in like a, a league that is, is capped that has more uh, restrictive finances, a team can win the Super Bowl one year and then com- be complete crap the other couple years. Uh, why am I saying crap? I can curse here. <laughs> they go to com- complete shit. They, they become awful because either they can't afford to keep their players or they mismanage the money that they do have. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can it just goes... Uh, you get a lot of pendulum swings in those American leagues with the cap. Uh, but I think I'd like that better than having Manchester United, who hasn't really been a good team in like seven years, still have the biggest wage in the league and still bring in the big names and stuff because they're Manchester United. And I don't have a problem with them bringing in big names because they're Manchester United. Because they have won a lot. They have a big history in recent times of being dominant. Not really recent times, but like, yeah, 10 years ago. Yeah, they were amazing. Yeah. Um, but them being really good 10 years ago, I don't think that should have an impact on today. I don't think... I Beyond like the brand and the, so oh, like, they, we know Manchester United. But like them having the most money is very highly correlated to their success a decade ago. Yeah. Like I said, it just moves more slowly because other teams that have like a really big history include Leeds United, Nottingham Forest, 
Austin Villa yeah. won the Champions League in the 60s. They did. Yeah. They did. Forrest did as well twice, I, th- I believe. Yeah. It just takes time. And, yeah, I I agree it does take time. But another point I want to make is I think there is less or there is greater room for error now in that teams are given more leeway to fuck up. Um, and I don't think you'll see another Leeds United of the 2000s where they just like, oh, massive wage massive budget and then they just collapse mm-hmm. like overnight i don't think you'll see that happen again because there is not only more protections against that but there is also just in general smarter people in charge that are like yeah we're not going to just blow this thing up it'll happen but i don't think it'll happen overnight the same way that it used to where it was like teams would be like yeah semi-finals of the champions league and then just like oh we're in you know the championship now you know yeah like it's i don't think it'll happen the same way because i think you get you get a longer grace period of just we're not gonna screw up our finances so we're still gonna be fine like chelsea could afford to be 10th for a year Mm -hmm. they could afford it they could afford to not have champions league they could afford to you know basically just fuck up their whole season right um and they were fine they're they're still fine Mm -hmm. uh they're still like competitive but for like a team for like Tottenham or even Arsenal, uh, missing out on the Champions League is huge. Like it is like game changing. Arsenal hasn't been in the Champions League in like four years now, and they are not anywhere close to the same team and the same level of prestige of their you know players. Like they're looking at teams. Or, I mean, they're looking at players and they're hoping to buy players that they would like pass up on in the Arsene Wenger Champions League. You know going to the final days like they wouldn't you have you know Thierry Henry you have uh, Patrick Vieira you have better people than like Captain Granite Jaka <laughs> you know right. so and and I think a big part of that is they've missed out on the the Champions League money the recent years and is that fair is it fair that Chelsea get to fuck up miss out on Champions League a couple years and eh, they're they're still fine and still drop sixty million on Pulisic and have money to spare, um, but Arsenal are like, please Pepe, don't fail. <laughs> we we spent so much money on you, we can't afford uh, you to bust out because like they, they're they're really dependent on their team success mm-hmm. for their financial success, and I think that's that's fair. Uh, as much as I don't like Arsenal, I. I'd respect them on a sporting level more <laughs> than a team like Chelsea or Manchester City. Mm-hmm. For those reasons. For the... They are dependent... Their success is dependent on being smart and being good. And they can't afford mistakes. And many, many, many teams all over the world cannot afford, afford mistakes. Um, but in... In the salary cap, you kind of are allowed to be bad, and then you can still rebuild. But if you're really bad in in soccer, that as we said, time moves slowly in in in, in football, and that also applies to the teams that fuck up. It takes forever for them to to recover, maybe a year's worth of mistakes, you know, for mm-hmm. a lot of teams. And I think, 
I think the great equalizer in sports in general is money at this point, at, at the way sports is right now. So that's why I'm very passionate about it, because I think it's maybe the most important thing right now, besides the actual game. In fact, it sometimes is way more important than the actual game, which I think sucks, because the game should always be the competitiveness of the game and the entertainment of the game should be the the first priority of a team, you know? So yeah, yeah. Well, lots of different, lots of different ideas, lots of different, lots of different perspectives. We'll see what happens. I like that you disagreed, Garrick. I, because I, you do bring up good points. You do bring up good points. Yeah, we'll see what happens if any kind of more advanced regulation comes into play. Yeah. And speaking of regulation, uh, relegation <laughs> is something that is a big deal in football that doesn't exist in American sports. Like just being out of the league one day and you don't get the money anymore. Like it's it's terrible for those teams that do get relegated. So I I'll bring that up as a point of why it's hard to do a salary cap and why it's very difficult to do these American things in a in a league that has relegation and promotion. But it also can be really important because if you get relegated, instead of being fucked, you're like, oh, we'll be okay. You know, but most teams are fucked. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's that's all we have then. And uh, thank you for listening to episode six. We have uh, some loyal followers out there. Um, few, but they are loyal. So I, I appreciate those of you that are listening. Uh, don't forget to rate the podcast, whatever platform you're on. Uh, comment on the podcast. Uh, send us an email this moment in sports at gmail.com uh, we have a twitter now actually uh, tmis underscore podcast uh, i haven't made a tweet because i don't know what to tweet about i don't i don't really know um, but what do you mean? it's there share, so share you can the give podcast. us a follow <laughs> yeah we'll tweet about you know how about that we'll tweet about the podcast to our one follower who is actually just aj <laughs> um but yeah, yeah, give us a follow. Give us uh, some more listens. Recommend us to your friends, your uh, your family, coworkers, etc., etc. And uh, have a good rest of your day. Thanks for listening.